All right, good morning. I'm going to be in Romans 8, if you don't mind opening your Bibles there and just kind of following along in the, uh, the beginning of the chapter of Romans chapter 8. Um, I'm going to share some personal thoughts this morning about this chapter, and, and it's really important um, uh, because I know how much this chapter means to so many of the people in this room. This is one of those chapters that has carried you uh, in life. Uh, Gary and I have talked some about that, and it's been amazing for me to be able to go to his class in the morning and, and begin preparing for my lesson um, in an hour. But um, no, but it's been amazing just to kind of sit there and think about this. And I've thought about what this chapter has meant to people in this room. And I'm going to come back to that. And, and, and I was thinking about songs that we sing um, and maybe the unique place some of the songs we just sang have in your life or have in your heart. Um, even though I've always been, you know, the typical youth minister, I love the newest song, the greatest song, what's the newest thing, let's stay. I have grown to love older songs, and the reason why is simple. It's because um, they, as, you, as I get older, they have a special place in my heart because I sang those songs when I was struggling. I sang those songs when I was going through whatever in life. And to sit here and say, man, how many times have I sung Sanctuary, you know, in my life? How many times have I sung Be With Me, Lord? And how many times did I sing that in tears? And how many times did I sing that when I was going through the worst trials of my life? And, and now it carries that place in my life. And Romans 8 is very much like that. Um, I think you have to understand Romans 8. And I'm going to put you in an uncomfortable place here. You have to understand Romans 8 in a place of extreme prejudice and radical racism. That is the context of the book of Romans. Um, radical racism. And I don't know if you've ever experienced that. Some of you around here maybe have not seen radical racism in your life. It's not the only divider, but I've seen amazing examples of it. Um, and I have been around amazing examples of, of extreme racism. Um, once when I was a youth minister, I was at a large church. And someone came into my office, and this was a, a pretty well-known figure in them. He came in there, my office with their wife, sat down in, in sincerity and love and choked up and sincere, said to me, Jeff, I just want to know if you're okay that we have black children being educated together with the white children here. That happened. What if it leads to dating, Jeff? That happened. Um, so many examples that you're thinking, man, what, what city were you in? Austin, Texas. What, what year was this, Jeff? How old are you? <laughs> exactly. And I was sitting here thinking, and I, I don't have time to get into my response because I, it involves shaking. I mean, I was offended that somebody would think that they were okay asking that question to me. And I was brought to my knees but I've seen, um, that's just an example of racism, but I've seen extreme examples of hatred and division over a number of issues. And I want to put you there in that uncomfortable mindset because this is how severe the relationship between Jew and Gentile was back then. And the quotes I'm going to share to you right now are from fairly modern rabbis, okay? But it was worse back in the day. Um, these are some things that rabbis have said. And certainly, certainly this does not represent the majority opinion in Judaism. Um, but goyim, that's the, the Hebrew word for um, the Gentiles, were born only to serve us. Without that, they have no place in this world, only to serve the people of Israel. 
With Gentiles, it will be like any person. They need to die, but God will give them longevity. Why? Imagine that one's, doc- imagine that one's donkey would die. They'd lose their money. This is his servant. That's why he gets a long life, to work well for a Jew. Um, the racism and extreme prejudice that was around, that, that hopefully in a society like this, we might think, Jeff, wow, we are so far past this, that this isn't even a relevant example. Why are you going here? I want to push you into the place of uncomfortability, that I am so uncomfortable with that kind of language. How on earth were they talking this way? The Jews had been expelled from Rome. Okay, for five years, and actually that's not too long, but for five years the Jews were not in Rome and the church developed with the Goyim, with the, with the Gentiles. A Gentile leadership, this is who they were. And now the Jews have moved back in and there is this hostility. There's this division between the two. And that's going to make sense in a minute because you're going to see so many words of comfort that relate to that. These are just taken from Romans chapter 8. How about this? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The righteous requirement of the law has been fully met in us. You have received the spirit of adoption as sons. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. I can't wait till we get to that verse later in our study and why that verse is so critical. The revealing of the sons of God. If God is for us, who can be against us? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? Who is to condemn? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Do you see the theme in Romans 8? Don't let anyone tell you you don't belong to God. Don't let anyone stand there and tell you you are further away from God because they are. And the thing is, even though an issue like racism, you might say, might not play such a big deal in my heart or in our life, what about all of these? Our education, our experience, our personal deliverance, all of the things where I could come to church and sit here and say, be with me, Lord, I can't live without thee. I cannot bear to take one step alone. And I can sit there and think, this person sitting next to me, mouthing the words to this song, has no clue what I've been through. They have no clue about my experience. They don't know my scars. They don't know my pain. They can't sing that song with the intensity that I can sing that song. You see what just happened? Ooh, the arrogance crept in. You don't, you haven't been through what I've been through. And you know what? That's true. But I sure haven't been through what you've been through. And, and we come together and Romans 8 carries a unique weight for everybody. And the songs that we sing carry a unique weight for everybody. But for these Jews that were coming into the church, they were thinking this. We are the Jews. We are the people of God. I hope this is big enough to read. We were given the covenant of circumcision. We are children of Abraham. We were entrusted with the law. We are Israel. And look at what Paul does throughout the book of Romans. And again, this has been called replacement theology today. It's actually fulfillment theology. It says this, a man is not a Jew if he is one outwardly. No, a man's a Jew if he's one inwardly. Circumcision isn't outward and physical. Circumcision is of the heart. This is really controversial. And you know the song you grew up singing, Father Abraham? 
And he says, he says, hey, we do the little cheesy march. Um, that is the most controversial song you could have sung in the first century. You'd be stoned for singing that song. I am one of them, so are you. Let's all praise the Lord. Man, no, no way would they have had that song in Rome, right? And here he's saying, Abraham is the father of all who believe, but have not been circumcised. Wow, that's radical. But the Gentiles show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts. It's not as though God's word has failed, probably the most crucial verse on this theme, because everybody's looking at it and saying, where are the promises to Israel? Have they been fulfilled? What about the land promises? What about the king promises? What about the law? And he has to stand there and say, none of it failed. Not one ounce of this has failed. It's been fulfilled, just not the way you were looking for it. For not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. Now, what he's saying through this book is controversial even today. Even in, in circles of Christianity today, people would say, oh, no, are you serious? This is the message of Romans. And he's sitting here saying, by grace, we are what we are. And he goes ahead and lays out the differences. He lays out the differences. And then the point of Romans is, now let's bring us to the similarities. By grace, we are saved. By grace alone, we are saved. And you're going to see Paul go off on the Gentile and say, man, your thinking is futile. You've been messed up. You've been living in a world of dirt. And you need by grace to come to Christ. And all the Jews over here saying, amen, yes. And then he's going to turn to the Jew and say, and you are no different at all. Because you, even though you had the law, all the law did was reveal your sin. Reveal the sickness that is in you. And also by grace, you have to come to Christ. And so coming into this and, and, and this theme, I think about the things that I have allowed um, in my life to that I have exalted myself above others. And the big ones have been experience. I, I would have a personal resume inside my head thinking, how dare you judge me? You have no clue about what I could tell you. You know, and all that, it's arrogance. And we talked about it in Gary's class this morning. All of these things that can begin to creep in. By grace, I was brought to Christ. By grace, I was baptized into Christ. But here's the problem. As I got older, more educated, more experienced, had things maybe you could start to boast in, what did I tend to do? I started to creep right back over to salvation by works. And maybe I wouldn't even use the word salvation. Let's use this word instead. I'm closer to God by works. I know God better than you. Because of my works. Any of this kind of talk, right? And that is what was happening in the church of Rome. And that's what happens in lives today. I don't know how many things people have used in my life to make me feel distant from God. Okay, I hate crying. How many things people have used? Do they speak in tongues in your church? Guess the Spirit's not there. At my church, we have holograms of angels that drop down. God visits us. We're amazing. Well, my church, we sing Amazing Grace. It's a cappella. It's cool. Um, my, my church is this. My church, this is my experience. This is what I've been through. I've seen stuff that would rock your world. I don't know, man. And so many things people have said, but mostly my own mind has said, that have made me feel distant from God. And there are people in this room right now because of your sin, because of your past, because of your lack of education, because of your lack. You don't even know the songs we sang this morning. I don't know some of them either. You don't even know the songs we sang this morning. And you're thinking, I'm not one of you. 
I'm not part of this, man. You're church people. I'm not church people. Do you get that? And this is what he's coming in here and saying is that every single one of us needs to be brought to our knees before the throne of God. Over and over again. And this is the message of the book of Romans uh, that he's going to keep coming back to. And he says this beginning in verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set your mind on the flesh is death. But to set your mind on the Spirit is life and peace. And I was just really going over this verse, over this verse in my mind, and thinking about what is he trying to say right here? I want to give you an illustration And class this morning was perfect because we went right here and the class kind of left off with a lot of questions about how do I know I'm in the spirit and not in the flesh? Because even in the example of Abraham, I'm sitting here thinking, I am no Abraham. I don't have the faith of Abraham. I'm not even close to that kind of faith. How can I know that I'm walking in the light? How can I know that I'm in God And he uses this example and he says, setting your mind on things of the flesh. Um, This was my mind last night. Um, This is actually my mind all the time. I was extremely frustrated at 2 o'clock this morning. Um, Partially, I'm going to blame my friend Garrett Castleberry for this. Um, uh, (laughs) Garrett Garrett, um, and Sydney are amazing people of God that are visiting me this weekend. And we stayed up last night having the most beautiful conversation ever. And it was so godly, and it meant so much to me, and especially because of the place that Garrett and now Sydney have in my life. But at 2 o'clock this morning, I was like, you know what, I'm not, I don't feel ready for tomorrow morning. I, I need to go over my sermon. And you know how we're trying to memorize Romans 8 together? The problem with memorizing a chapter is the words become a cloud of words in your head. And they become just words. And I can quote this over and over. And the more I quote it, I'll be honest with you, the more it can tend to lose meaning. And they just become a cloud of words. And last night at 2 o'clock in the morning, I was thinking, I have no clue what Romans 8 is talking about. I was panicking. So I got up and took a shower. And God set my mind back at peace. I said, what are we talking about here? How do I know if I'm walking in the Spirit, living in the Spirit? Um, I'm notoriously bad at navigation. Um, anyone here who knows me knows that this is not a joke. Jason knows this well. Uh, Garrett knows this well. Brad knows this well. Anyone who knows me, my, <laughs> that was totally inappropriate, and I'm going to call you out in front of everybody right now. <laughs> um, I am notoriously bad at navigation. We went on a mountain trip together. Some of the guys in this room almost lost their life because of my skill of navigation. Milt was with me. And even Milt, I managed to get lost on our trip. Okay. Terrible navigation. I get to take y'all on the mountains this afternoon. We're going to have fun. Um, but I, I do have a hard time. And a couple of weeks ago, I was asked to visit. Um, well, we were invited to dinner at some friend's house south of Denver. And I, I, w- I, I should have pulled up the text because it's hilarious. So she sends me a text and he says, here's the address to our house. Um, Um, don't use GPS uh, because we're not on Google Maps. And I clicked on it, and I said, yes, you are. It pulled right up. And so I I immediately pulled up my GPS, Google Maps. We start driving, and we drive to their house. Um, And they're not at the house, and I look at the GPS, and we are 45 minutes away from where we're supposed to be. 
And I thought this was already a disaster that we're 45 minutes away from dinner and I have ice cream um, for dessert. And I'm like, I'm starting to have a meltdown. And Melinda doesn't get me to see me have meltdowns very often, but we were having one of these moments where I was like, stop talking. I'm driving. And she says, why don't you call? And Melinda said that probably 10 times. Why don't you just call? And I said, because I don't know where I am. If I can't tell them where I am, they can't direct me. So I have to figure this out on my own. Back to GPS, going back to GPS. And I kept doing this. The problem is this. Um, where I was trying, trying to go just wasn't there. And I don't know why GPS has the audacity to fill in the blank with whatever it wants to. But that's what it was doing. And so I wouldn't just call. And finally I called and she had to walk me in. We were super, super late. But I was thinking about the analogy of this. And I was thinking... GPS is something you set. You set this to be a certain way. Your thermostat is something you set to be at, let's say, if you're a smart person, 70 degrees, because I like a cold house. Um, 70 degrees. That means if the door gets opened and the temperature goes one way in your house, then you close the door and the thermostat says, we're going to come back to center. This is what we're set at, Right? Your speedometer, we set it. Some of us, not at the same place. We set it to a certain place, and this is where we're going to land, and it's going to bring us back to center. If we go too fast, we go too slow. This is where it's going to bring us. This is setting your mind to a certain way of thinking. And the reason I love this analogy so much is in class this morning, we're saying, man, how do I know if I'm on path? Well, the problem is I'm not all the time. I've set my course a certain direction, and I keep messing up. And do you know what I love about GPS? Is as soon as you mess up, it says, rerouting. I hear that word all the time. We're going to reroute this, but we're going to get you back on track. We're going to keep you here. And I think about my walk in the Spirit and what I'm doing in God. I keep messing up, but am I set for a certain course? Is that what my course is set towards? These verses say this, man, if your mind is set according to the flesh, that's death. But if it's set according to the spirit, that is life and peace. Um, I'm not going to spend the time reading these verses, but Galatians 5, 16 through 26, I would love for you to put this in the margin. Um, For me, the greatest way to really engage scripture is when you find a parallel passage that is intended to be a parallel passage and let it act as the commentary. So Galatians 5, 16 through 26 are the exact things that we're talking about here. Some of it is word for word, but that's where it's going to get into the works of the flesh versus the fruit of the spirit. And it's going to conclude by saying this, since we live in the spirit, let's keep in step with the spirit. Let's keep in step with where he is leading us and where he's taking us. Um, in class this morning, and I am, I'm, I'm getting a lot of my messages this morning from comments that were made in class this morning. Seth Turney made a comment that seemed like it was taken exactly out of Ephesians chapter 5. This is what it says in verse 8, 8 through 10. You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. What is it that makes my God smile? 
and going through this life trying to figure out what is it that ultimately pleases God. That's Man, that's our mission. Text goes on and says this, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, and this is such a crucial verse to me, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And I was thinking about that verse as a debtor. This is who I am, and this is where I am now. What Paul is attempting to do throughout um, Romans chapter 8 is he's trying to bring us in our minds back to our knees. Christ came to transform us from the inside out. He came to the law, and in Matthew 5 through 7, he said, this is what you've heard all of your life. Don't murder. Don't covet. Don't kill. Don't... You've heard it, all the external acts you're not supposed to do. And then he comes and he says, but I tell you, who is angry, if you're angry with your brother without a cause, you've already sinned. If you lust after that woman, you've already committed adultery. If you've done that, he says it begins in the heart. And so Paul is going to build on that. He's going to say, this is the spirit of God within us to transform us from the inside out, to bring our hearts back to loving God. And that's exactly it. Carrie said in class this morning, this is more about the course that we're on and the path that we're on than the destination itself. Um, my destination is Christ Jesus. And let me tell you, my GPS is off track right now, okay? I have taken that out into Greeley trying to get to where I'm supposed to go. But it's still taking me there, and I'm on a path to be like him and to be clothed with him and with his mind. That is what discipleship is about. Am I going towards Christ? Is he what my, I'm set myself towards? Is that the direction I'm going? Um, we sang a song just a second ago that um, I could not understand the lyrics at all, so I pulled them up, and I was like, I've got to get this in my head. Um, and it says this, when the passing world is done, when, this, when has sunk yon glaring sun, when the, we stand with Christ on high, looking o'er life's history, then, Lord, shall I fully know, not till then, how much I owe. And, and, that, and it was just one of those things where, David, I'm going to be real with you. It was a beautiful song. But all of a sudden, you know one of those moments where you're singing and you realize you're not thinking? And I was doing that. I was singing but not thinking. And all of a sudden, I was like, that verse hit me. I was like, whoa, i got to start paying attention because that was good. And then the next verse. When I stand before the throne, dressed in beauty, not my own. When I see thee as thou art, love thee with unsinning heart, then, Lord, shall I fully know. But not till then how much I owe. But the last verse is the good one. This is crazy. And this is the one I couldn't understand the language. E'en on earth as through a glass, 
Darkly let thy glory pass. Make forgiveness feel so sweet. Make thy spirit's help so meet. I have no idea what that means. E'en on earth, that means even right now on earth, before I die. E'en on earth, Lord, make me know something of how much I owe. Man, we sang that song, and all of a sudden I was like pulling out my phone going, what? Was this guy reading Romans when he wrote this? The beauty of that message, and for me to come to the body of Christ, and this is how it plays out culturally then and how it plays out culturally now. For me to come to the body of Christ and begin to develop a resume of everything I think I am before God. And to step away from God's grace is to step away from a walk in the Spirit. But the Spirit leads me more and more and more into a greater concept. One, of how indebted I am to my God. And two, of how incredibly deep His love is for me. How incredibly rich His love is for you. Um, Last night, I got to spin up talking with Garrett, and Garrett, to have you here means the world to me. When I came to this church, I was in prayer over this young man. Um, and I felt guilty because he was going through one of the hardest times in his life, and I couldn't be there, and I felt guilty. And to see how God has carried him and put this girl that is amazing in his life, Sydney, to put this girl in his life, and he's beginning a youth ministry this next January. And how life, God has carried his life to where he is. And I was just sitting here thinking when he was sharing his story and everything God's done in him and the continued struggle. I remember just sitting there thinking, the weird thing is, I've been through nothing like you've been through. But I identify so much with what you're saying. And I feel this. And I look at the church of God today and I want you to know this. You are surrounded right now. And I know this because I know a lot of people in this room. You are surrounded right now with people that have stories of incredible grace. And even though someone else's story in this room is not your story, and they have not been through what you've been through and everything else, I want, to, I want you to know this. When we raise our voices together, and this next song we're going to... Um, Sing especially when peace like a river tends my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll. How many times in your life have you sung that song and you thought, God, this is where I'm at. This is what I'm going through. This is my life, right? You're lifting that song up together with a host of people. Jew and Gentile. I don't know what their hymns were in the first century. They were probably not as cool. But their hymns that they lifted up together in unison, Jew and Gentile, regardless of what they've been through, would have had the same message. By grace, I am what I am. And my prayer is for me, for us as a church, for all of us, that we will not start to step away from God's grace. And that Romans 8 would be that reality. And if you needed to hear, and over the coming... Man, we're going to be in Romans 8, I'll be real with you, until close to Christmas. We're going to be in this chapter for a while. Um, in this chapter, God's going to be saying something over and over and over to you that you need to hear and that I need to hear. And that is this. There is no condemnation. I love you. And you are my child. And the voices that are in your head and the voices that are outside of you that make you feel further from me, 
Those voices are lies. Don't listen to those lies. I want you to hear the voice of my spirit. By grace, you are a child of Abraham and an heir of that promise. Even 2,000 years removed, or 4,000 years removed, even on the other side of the planet, even in an uneducated, messed up world, you are heirs of that promise and you are my child. And he's put the spirit in my heart to cry, Abba, Father. My God, I come before you and I beg you um, to bring me and bring us as a family and as a body to our knees. The way we accept and the way we embrace uh, one another. Um, I pray, God, that you would kill the disease of racism in this world. That you would kill the disease of arrogance in this world. That regardless of our level of experience, education, pain, victory, churches planted, resumes written, that we are equal at the foot of the cross and in desperate need of your salvation and desperate need of your grace. And we want to lift up our voices in harmony with one voice, every experience in here. We just want to praise you for what you've done. It's in Christ's name. Amen. Let's worship our God together.